hello there, you spectacular people. Welcome to the HGB Anniversary Show 2019. We are five years old today, Mort. Yes, Mort is very excited. I'm going to dance a little jig. This is one of those special episodes where it's completely unscripted and I'm just here to talk to you guys and to share some flash fiction contest winners with you guys. I figured what I would do is talk a little bit about the show, which shouldn't take too terribly long, and then we're going to talk about you guys because that's really what History Ghost Bump is about. It's about the community that has grown around this podcast. And something I started doing a few years ago is hosting a flash fiction contest where you guys submit your spooky flash fiction. That means you had to write something under a thousand words, which I think many of you who have competed in this contest have found is very difficult. Writing a short story is probably the most difficult piece of literature out there. Flash fiction, you only have so much time to bring in all the characters, bring in the plot, and wrap it all up. And when you cut it down to a thousand words, it's that much harder. But you guys did a great job this year, and I can't wait to share our three winners, and we have a couple of runner-ups as well. So History Ghost Bump is five. Uh, It's hard for me to even believe I've been doing this for five years. And as a matter of fact, I just got done recording episode 309, 309 episodes. And that doesn't include the specials like the anniversary ones, the Halloween ones and other holiday ones, road trip ones. And of course, for those of you who are executive producers, you know that there is almost a couple hundred bonus casts out there. I've talked about a lot of haunted stuff out there. And while I don't believe anyone can claim to be an expert when it comes to the paranormal, I feel like I have a pretty good extensive knowledge of it now, and I've had a ton of my own experiences at this point, and I've had a great time sharing them with you guys, and also sharing your experiences. We were the kids in school who everybody kind of gave a little side eye to. We might have acted a little differently or dressed a little differently or we were into some really weird stuff. I will be forever grateful that my parents catered to that weird side of my personality. So when I asked for the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe that one Christmas, they got it for me. My mother taught me about traipsing through graveyards and seeing all of the wonderful things that are in there. And she took me around to haunted locations and taught me that learning about the history is the most important thing. And I think at this point, most of you know that when it comes to haunted history, I put the emphasis on the history part. When I first started History Goes Bump, the main reason I did it was because there was this vast emptiness when it came to paranormal shows out there. There weren't a whole lot of podcasts to begin with, and those that focused on the paranormal, 
there were only a handful. I know the Big Sands podcast was out there. Of course, Jim Harold has been around for forever. Lex Wall's Anything Ghost has been around for forever as well. And I would listen to those guys' shows and I loved them. But there was always something missing for me. There wasn't a show that was like going on a ghost tour. And I loved going on ghost tours. And I loved the radio. I'd always wanted to be a radio host. I wanted to be like Art Bell. So when I heard about podcasts and internet radio, I was like, oh, this would be so cool to do a podcast that's like a ghost tour. So I kind of look at myself as being the OG when it comes to sharing historic haunted locations with you guys. Obviously, they're a dime a dozen now. Oh my gosh, you put paranormal into a search engine on any of the podcast catchers that you have. And it seems like there's a new show at least every week, if not every day, all with a lot of the same format. Basically, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing here, bringing you guys an emphasis on the history. Not only did we hit 309 episodes at this point, but we also rolled over 4 million downloads. That is just amazing. When I think that in October of 2014, when we started, we hadn't even hit 1,000 downloads. And that was with 10 episodes up. We put 10 episodes up that first month and didn't even have 1,000 downloads. So I want to thank you guys for listening and for sharing the show. And I ask you, if you enjoy the show, please share it with everybody you know. That's really the only way it gets out there. I have really struggled this last year. iTunes has pulled my show down. I finally got them to put it back up. I'm hoping on other apps I'm doing a little bit better. But the other thing we have going on is every single celebrity out there, every corporation, every news branch out there have discovered, oh, hey, podcasts are really cool. Yeah, thanks for finally getting into it. Podcasts have only been around since, what, 2006, I think. I think some people say they started back in 2004, but I know they came onto my radar back in 2006, 2007 is when I started listening to my first podcast. And I started my first internet radio show in 2009. So I look over at some of these celebrities who all of a sudden have these huge audiences and all these ads and, hey, look at what I'm doing. I'm so cool. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Thanks for stepping on the backs of those of us who built this. But despite all that, I have managed to create a niche here and on top of that, a community. If you haven't joined us in the Spooktacular crew, please do so. We have a really tight-knit group in there. It's closed so you can talk about your spooky, haunted experiences, or even if you have some personal stuff that you want to share, you can feel like you can do that without it showing up on your main feed. So friends and family that you don't want to have see some of that weird stuff are not going to see it. I'm going to be speaking in a couple weeks at my second podcast convention, and I'm honored to be able to share some of my knowledge when it comes to podcasting and also to help inspire others to either get involved in it more or to give them that reboot that they need. And frankly, I'm going to because there's some information that I would love to get there because there's some things and some goals that I have for History Goes Bump in the next year. And I'm hoping that some of the people there can share some of their knowledge with me as well and help me with some of these future goals. I've talked a lot about writing books, and I definitely want to get into that. Not just about haunted history. I have a specific topic that over this last year I have become really fascinated with, and it's come about because of the paranormal investigations that we've done. And it's an element that has not been explored anywhere that I've seen, and it's something that I really want to explore. So I'm hoping to get a book out about that, probably not in the next year, but sometime here in the near future. As you all know, one of the things that has definitely changed here at History Ghost Bump, especially in the last year, is that we've been doing ghost hunts. 
and I've hosted a couple of them myself. Next year, we're going to do more of them. And I actually prefer doing that than to doing live shows. I just have a lot more fun where I'm not standing in front of people speaking. That's not really my thing. I like just hanging out with you guys and doing something fun. That's why I invite you to go on ghost tours with me when we're in a certain town. And I love having you guys with me when we're doing a ghost hunt. So I plan to do more of those. I know a lot of you over on the West Coast are like, please come over here. It just is really difficult to get over there because... I'm a housekeeper, and so I'm working on a housekeeper's budget, and the podcast is definitely paying for itself and more than that, but it's not enough to really help me with all the travel I have to do. So that's one of the things that's been limiting a lot of what I'm able to do. So we'll have to see what we do in the future. I definitely have lots of places over there I want to get to. Arizona's got some locations that I'd like to get to. But what I've really been focusing a lot on is trying to do things that are in the center of the country so it's just easier for people to get there. So just know when I'm doing these events and and coming to a center place, I'm traveling a long distance to come there. And I would love it. I know it's tough for you guys to travel long distance too, but meet me halfway, I guess is the way I want to put it. I'm I'm trying to get to you guys, but you got to meet me halfway too. It takes me three hours just to get out of Florida. So there's a lot of travel involved for me to meet up with you guys. When people ask me what my favorite podcast is, I always say history goes bump. And that's the truth. And I believe any podcaster, that should be their answer is whatever podcast they host. If your podcast is not your favorite podcast, I have to wonder where your heart is because you should be putting on the podcast that you want to listen to. That being said, I have really missed having a weekly episode to listen to. Now, of course, I honestly, I do have those because we have the bonus cast every week for those of you that give it $5 and above, but I like having the regular weekly one in the feed and I've really wanted to get there. I just had to justify it with making enough money to make up not working as much in the house cleaning and focusing more on the podcast and I really haven't gotten to that place. I have sold a few ad spots. I'm hoping to get more of those in the future. My problem is I just don't have the level of downloads that a lot of sponsors want you to have in order for them to put money towards your show. And then they also pay you according to however many downloads you have. So when you have smaller downloads like mine, I know 4 million is huge, but in the scheme of things, it's not where sponsors want you to be. So I don't make a whole lot of money on those ads I put out there. But... I miss doing the show and bringing it to you every week. So in the next year, I am going to try my best to put out a weekly episode. May not happen all the time. Some of them may be a little bit shorter. And the other thing you guys have probably noticed is I haven't done any interviews in quite a while. There's a couple of reasons for it. Number one, for those of you that use Skype, you probably noticed that they redid the entire program. When they did that, the equipment that I have to record did not mix well with it. There were several times that I would get somebody on to do an interview with and they couldn't hear me. I could hear them clear as a bell. They couldn't hear me. As a matter of fact, only a couple of you know this because we talked about it at the Haunted America conference, but Angie, who joined me on the Cincinnati Music Hall episode, thank God she's a tour guide because when we got on, She couldn't hear anything I was saying to her. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And so I told her, I'm going to type the questions into the chat and then let you run with them. 
So that's how we did the interview. I typed the questions, she answered them, and then I recorded myself later asking those questions and put them together. And thank God she was a tour guide because she was able to just go. And that's what I needed was somebody who could just talk and talk and talk and answer the question without me having to pull anything out of her. So I had a technical issue. I needed to buy another piece of equipment to help facilitate Skype working properly again because of the way I have my recording equipment set up. And I ran a test a couple of weeks ago and it worked fine. And I just recorded the latest episode, which is on the McIntyre Villa with the owners of that location. And it went wonderfully. So I'm back in business when it comes to that. But the reason why it took me so long to get the equipment and test it and really make a push for it is because I'd gotten a couple of reviews and a couple of emails from people who felt like I was phoning it in because I was doing a whole bunch of interviews about this time last year. And frankly, the reason is I didn't have the time to sit down and research a show for every single week. And when I have somebody who is knowledgeable about a location that I can have come on and I don't have to research it, it's way easier to edit than to research and edit. And so I thought, well, if people think I'm just phoning it in, then maybe I shouldn't be doing the interviews. So now that I want to start doing more episodes, I'm going to start pulling in more of those interviews again to help take the load off of me. But fingers crossed, I'll be bringing more of those to you guys. And again, there's plenty of back catalog sitting over there in bonus casts starting at $2 a month. Not only do you get episodes ahead of time and without ads when I do have ads, but you also get at least one bonus episode every single month. At the $3 level, you get a couple of extra bonus casts. And at the $5 and above level, you get it all. Not to mention that you help me to produce the show. I could not, absolutely could not do it without you guys. The more popular a podcast gets, the more expensive it gets. And especially trying to do things like I do where I'm actually going to the locations and hosting these investigations, those pins that I give out to people for meetups, all of that costs a lot of money. So you guys who help financially with the show make a huge difference. And even a dollar makes a huge difference. And it gets you into the HGB Losers Club. Join the Losers Club and know that you've given back to a podcast that maybe has given you a little something too. All right, so enough about me and History Goes Bump. Let's talk about our flash fiction. We've done this every year, except for, I think, the first anniversary show. So starting with anniversary number two, we started hosting the contest. Basically, the rules are the word limit is 1,000. Needs to be creepy or scary, somewhere within a lower R rating. And then we choose three winners. And then we always have a couple of runner-ups. You guys are such great writers. It's always really hard for me to decide every year. Before I jump into all that, I want to share some stories by Rick Kennett. And he definitely took flash fiction to the extreme and sent me several stories. And I'm going to read all of them for you. And the reason why I can do that is because the longest one is 100 words. So the first one we have is Tomb It May Concern. Grave robbing? Really? You accuse me of robbing graves? Very well then, I admit it, but I was hungry. Midnight Sanguine. Lying awake that first night in hospital, I realize a nurse has emerged from the dark and is standing beside my bed. I've come for some of your blood, she says. I laugh at the silly implications of her words. She smiles quietly and I see that her teeth gleam white. Now it's midnight forevermore and in my turn I say, I've come for some of your blood. This one is fzzz. F-Z-Z-Z. The vampire sees the scuba diver in the depths, racing him to the surface, forcing nitrogen to bubble agonizingly into his bloodstream. They then all enjoyed 
a fizzy drink. <laughs> I love that. And then finally, we have Humbug. Ebenezer Scrooge awakes to a day he happens to know is Tuesday, but sounds in its eerie quiet too much like a Sunday. No sound of traffic, no sound of industry. Everything is silent. He nervously recalls that this is how the day of the Triffids begins with worldwide blindness caused by green shooting stars and all of sightless humanity prey to giant walking plants with deadly whip-like stings. As someone who's re-landscaping their backyard, that's terrifying. He hopes that the world has indeed gone blind and is being overrun by rampaging killer vegetation. But Scrooge, horribly afraid, suspects the worst. The stillness outside might actually be Christmas. So thank you, Rick, for sharing those pieces of flash fiction. And then Erin Clardy sent in a poem and she was like, does this count for the flash fiction? And I went, well, yeah, sure. It's fiction. It's poetry. It could work. But it's so hard to judge poetry against stories. But I wanted to share the poem because it's really good. Something. There's a presence that can't be seen. Something's there watching me. In shadows. In the dark. Something intelligent. Something smart. Just to left of the light. Just around the corner, day or night. Just up the stairs where I can't see. Just behind the old oak tree. Something there is watching me. It's been around for a long, long time. I feel it now. And now it's gone. But it will come again, I find, to sit behind me while I type, to rush the glow of my screen, to provoke a jump or make me scream. The more I don't see it, the more it's there. In the shadows, in dark, something intelligent, something smart. Something watches me from the dark. So very, very nice. Before we get into our winners, I'm going to share a couple of runner-ups. Runner-up number two is by Leslie Pollock, and it is untitled. I could see my daughter in the distance, though everything else around me appeared unclear and foggy. As I tried to reach her, my feet slid on the slick surface underneath me. The ground was like ice, but had a spongy feel to it. Everything was surreal. An odd constraint pulling at me, trying to force me back in the direction I'd come. My daughter was fighting a similar constraint, but it was pulling her in the opposite direction. Saving her consumed my mind. The what or why didn't matter. Mom, she cried as she stretched her arms towards me. I am coming. My ears filled with a rushing sound like the wind, but no air moved around me. I continued to yell as loud as I could over it, each step harder than the one before. Keep fighting it. I will get to you. Inside I prayed. Let me be right. I couldn't let her down. Mom, she screamed again as she slipped and nearly lost what little traction she had. I'm coming. How many times I shouted that, I don't know. It felt like if I kept saying it, I would continue moving closer. Finally, close enough that I could feel our fingers touch, I felt a rush of hope that I could save her. With a little more effort, I grabbed her hand and pulled her to me, clutching both of her hands. Hang on to me. Don't let go, I encouraged. I'm scared, Mom. Her voice was nearly lost in the rushing sound. I'm scared, too. I admitted. Not sure why I thought it seemed the right thing to do, I stopped fighting the force that pulled me back. Hanging tightly to my daughter's hands, we were both yanked back in the direction I'd come. Suddenly, darkness. I felt a weight hit my chest, then gasped for breath as my eyes flew open. Bright red and blue lights hurt my eyes, and a shape like a person was silhouetted above me. I could feel the hard ground under my back. Danielle, I choked. You've been in an accident, ma'am. Please lay still, came a voice from the silhouette. They were trying to put an oxygen mask on my face. I pushed it away and tried to get up. Mom, I heard Danielle's voice croak. 
I moved toward the voice to see her on a gurney being rolled towards an ambulance. She reached out a hand towards me. Thank you, Mom. I love you, baby girl, I answered. Thank you for sending that in, Leslie. Appreciate that. Our first runner-up is by Laura Jovog, and it's titled The Disappointment. Everyone knew the house at the end of the cul-de-sac was haunted. There were actually two houses down there, not quite next to one another. The road to them sloped downward off another road with no houses along that slope, just an overgrown orchard on one side and a pasture with horses in it on the other. The non-haunted house was painted yellow and had a family of three. Both parents worked and their son Trevor was close to my age. He was quiet and spent more time at the library than at home. His folks would meet him there after work and school. He didn't talk much about the house next door, but a little had been bullied out of him over the years. He said it was a normal house, according to his father who'd walked through it once, but people never stayed there long. The haunted house didn't look strange. It was painted blue and badly needed repainting. It seemed that it was for rent more than it was inhabited, with people moving in and then moving out within a month or so. The for rent sign always signaled another family leaving, and throughout my early childhood, that's how I remember the place. When I was about 11 years old, the people renting had a massive fight. You could see the house from my bedroom window upstairs. When we heard about the fight and saw the police cards converging, a bunch of us got up in my window with a couple of pairs of binoculars and watched as two men fought with police and broke out the front picture window. We saw a woman screaming at police and could almost hear her from two blocks away. We thought it was a great show until two sobbing children were let out by officers and someone else was taken away on a stretcher by an ambulance. The for rent sign went back up about the time the police tape came down, although the picture window was now covered in plywood. The owner didn't even bother to fix it. The sign was tangled in creepy ivy before anything else happened at the house. A man came by at night and tried to set it on fire. I heard the sirens and looked out my bedroom window, but it was already over by then. Word got out that the back door of the house could be jimmied. I heard about high school kids going into the house and seeing strange things inside. As Halloween rolled near, it became increasingly clear that everyone was going to want to visit the house, if only to run up on the porch to say they'd done it. I was 12, going on 13. I was going to be too old to trick-or-treat soon, an actual teenager. I would have to visit the house or lose whatever cred I had. Trevor's mom usually gave out toothbrushes on Halloween, so the cul-de-sac had long been a place we ignored, but not that year. Everyone visited Trevor's house, and his mom had forgotten to stock up on toothbrushes. She had some candy and sent her husband out to get more. Most of the groups would visit Trevor's house and then run up to the porch of the haunted house giggling. My group of five didn't bother with the porch. We got our candy, then ducked into the orchard and around to the back. When Tony went to the door, I almost hoped he didn't actually know the secret, but he pulled and lifted, and the door swung open. I touched the handle as I passed into the house. It was still locked. It was a perfectly normal house inside, empty, but normal. White walls with some stains, creaky floor, stained carpeting. It was fairly dark, and we swung our flashlights around as we explored. Mad said the ghosts hung out downstairs, so we all dutifully tromped down a set of stairs that led to the garage. The darkness there was thicker, like a fog, and the noises from outside seemed muffled. We'd been able to hear kids giggling on the porch earlier, but even though everyone had to pass the garage door to get to the porch, we couldn't hear them now. Matt suddenly screamed and ran up the stairs, and Tony backed against a wall. Andrew said a swear word I'd never heard come out of his mouth, and Ethan just made a gasping noise. I didn't see whatever it was they were scared of, just that dark fog. I pushed them to the stairs and up. I herded them out the back door into the orchard and over to where Matt was trembling on the ground. They all babbled about something different. A ghost, a demon, a zombie, a witch. They stammered their terror while I asked stupid questions. Finally, Ethan asked what I'd seen. They were stunned when I said I hadn't seen anything. I told them I'd go back into the house to look again, and Matt actually started to cry and beg me to not go. 
that decided it. Andy had dropped his flashlight. I was going to go back in to get it. I wish I could say I saw something. I didn't. I found the flashlight, looked around the house, disappointed, and said, I'm sorry everyone keeps bothering you. Then I went back out to my friends, closing the door firmly behind me. The house only stood for another couple of months before someone managed to burn it down. I went out one winter morning before the snows and looked at the charred remains. I fancied I could see a dark fog close to the ground, but didn't go any nearer. A bulldozer came out in the spring and the lot was allowed to go to weeds and dirt. I never heard anything more about the place after that. I've still never seen a ghost. Thank you for sending that in, Laura. Appreciate it. All right, so this is our third place winner. You will receive a medal and your choice of t-shirt. And that winner is Whitney Zahar. And her story is called Wanderer. The breeze kicked up a little, dampening my cheeks with a light, salty spray. My bare feet dug into the cool sand and I curled my toes deeper. I watched the waves sweep and crash, a gray-blue matching my eyes. With a deep sigh, I longed to stand in this place forever, to just lose myself in the waves, wind, and sand. But the sky was darkening, a growing heaviness in the air, almost like a warning, clinging to my skin. Shivering, I pulled my red beach wrap shawl around me as I turned to walk with the pounding surf by my side. The beach was expansive, nothing but an unending horizon between sea mist and sand. My thoughts quieted under the dull thunder of the waves. And yet, I didn't feel at peace. There was a primal heartbeat, but not only in the waves. There was something gathering in the distance. I pushed my fingers through my wild curls. What odd thoughts I'm having. It was time to return to my solitary beach house for a cup of tea. I didn't see him coming at first. There was no one for miles, but suddenly my distracted eyes focused on his figure. The mist swirled around him, as much a part of him as the long gray coat he wore. He passed me with a stroke of cool air, like dark gray fog, when he paused, turned, and looked at me. I could just make out his narrow chin and the shape of his eyes. Handsome, even though the mist obscured his features like a faded photograph. His hair hung damp to his shoulders, but there was no color. He had no color. I quickly looked down, relieved to see the vivid warmth of my red shawl. When he cut my chin to lift my face to meet his dim gaze, I shivered at his chilled touch. So dark, wet, unreal, unearthly. I'm happy you escaped the storm, my love. His voice was soft, but echoed as though from a distance. But you must leave now. I'm sorry, who are you? My face was puzzled, but my eyes stung with tears. He shook his head, a slight smile curving his dark features. It's been so long since I beheld your beautiful face. I've craved to see you again. But you must go. Leave the island at once. Go. I gasped as his fingers fell away from my face and his form dissolved, like a strong wind dispelling the sea mist. Thank you so much for that, Whitney. Reminds me of the gray man who comes to warn people of disasters. 
Now we have our second place winner who will receive a medal and their choice of long sleeve t-shirt. And that person is Eric Bew and his story is called On Ice. Please don't go, mom said tearfully. Your dad would understand if you didn't go this year. It was the first ice fishing weekend of the season. No, scratch that. It was the first ice fishing weekend since dad died. Don't go, she repeated as we stood out on the front porch. In a way, I knew she was right. Dad loved fishing almost as much as he loved the two of us. But I was scared that if I didn't go for at least the first ice fishing weekend since the heart attack, I might never go again. I'll be fine, Mom. I know the way to the lake, and I know how to stock the cabin, I told her. Dad had inherited his father's cabin near the lake shortly after I was born. Someday, this will be yours, buckaroo, he used to say. Buckaroo. That was his nickname for me. I pretended to hate it, but he knew I liked it. Whenever we were alone together, he never called me by my name, just buckaroo. We'll be eating fish tonight, buckaroo. It is cold as shit out there. Get that fire started, buckaroo. I don't think Mom even knew his nickname for me. Be careful. I don't know what I'd do if I lost. She trailed off, but I knew what she was going to say. If I lost you, too. Mom, you know that Dad took me up there for the first weekend of ice fishing season every year since I was five. I'll be fine because he taught me everything I need to know. I had already loaded the truck with the fishing gear, enough food for two people for three days, old habits die hard, as they say, and plenty of wood for the fireplace. It can get awfully cold at night up there. Mom looked at me and then out the door at the truck. Okay, I don't like it, but I guess I can't stop you. I smiled and finally she smiled. I gave her a quick hug and kiss before I ran down the steps. I love you. See you in three days. She was still standing on the front porch as I turned out of the driveway. It was about three hours to the cabin in good weather, but the snow had been coming down for the last few days, so it took me longer to get there. I pulled up in front of the cabin. It looked just like it had when all three of us had been here during the summer for vacation, except for all the snow covering the roof and drifting up on the porch. I opened the front door and began unloading the truck. Firewood first, then food, and then fishing gear, buckaroo. We can live without food and fishing for a few days, but we won't last through the night without fire. He would say every year when he arrived, and that is exactly how I unloaded the truck this time. There was no utilities at the cabin, although Mom had begged for air conditioning for the summer. If you're too hot, go jump in the lake, Dad would joke, and Mom would slug him in the arm. There was just enough light for me to go down to the lake, scout a place for fishing tomorrow morning, and get back to the cabin to start a fire for the night. None of the neighbors came here for ice fishing, so I was all alone. All alone for ice fishing for the first time in my life. My eyes began to tear up, which is why I missed the fallen branch until I tripped over it. I saw the frozen lake rushing at my face and turned sideways just as I slammed into the ice. I laid there looking at the darkening sky and began laughing at myself. I rolled over to get up and I heard the one sound an ice fisherman dreads the most. The ice was cracking beneath me. I spread myself out trying to distribute my weight as much as I could so I could slide back to shore. As I turned towards the shore, the ice opened up and dropped me into the freezing water. It was shallow so I could stand up after being completely dunked in the sub-zero temperature water. I sloshed my way back to the cabin. When I got inside, I took off all my wet clothes and put some wood into the fireplace as my shivering became more and more intense. As I reached for the matches, I remembered they were in my pants pocket, the pants that I'd been wearing when I went for my unexpected swim. Throwing a blanket around my naked shoulders, I grabbed my wet pants and dug the matches out. 
They were soaked and completely useless. I'll just pack up and drive home, I thought. I reached into the other pocket and nothing. The keys were gone. Oh shit, they must have fallen into the lake. Now I was really worried. I'm naked except for the blanket and freezing, which the blanket wasn't helping. No fire and no way to leave. As I started to panic, there was a knock on the cabin door. That's weird. No one is ever out here, let alone comes to visit. I cracked the door because I was wearing only a blanket and it was cold outside. There was a man, I assume because I could only see a beard under his parka hood. When I asked if I could help him, he just held up a box of matches. Somehow this mysterious caller knew what I needed without me saying. I opened the door and said, You're a lifesaver. I fell into the lake and my matches got wet. I can't start a fire. The stranger walked over to the fireplace without a word and got a fire going with the first match. I stood next to him and let the heat envelope me. He threw some more wood on the fire and stood up. I asked if he wanted some food as I'd packed more than enough and he just shook his head. He walked towards the door and I wondered if he had a place to stay the night, but hesitated about offering for him to stay. He got to the door, opened it just in time to let in a cold blast of night air, and pulled my keys out of his pocket and laid them on the table by the front door. I don't know if he spoke out loud or just in my head, but as the door closed behind him, he said, You drop these outside. Maybe next time you'll bring extra clothes and put the matches with the firewood, won't you, buckaroo? Thank you so much for sending that in, Eric. A little bit of scary, but a lot of heart. And I really like those cool ghost stories like that. And finally, we have our first place winner who will be receiving a medal and their choice of hoodie sweatshirt. And this is a story by Thomas Strachand called The Pier. Max felt the warm, humid summer air in the open windows as he cruised along in his old pickup and Sweet Home Alabama played over the radio. He was driving on a narrow two-lane county road deep in the Arkansas Ozarks to a fishing spot his cousin Earl had told him about. Trees rushed by, hugging the road tightly as the amber lightning bugs flashed slowly in the still summer air. The waxing moon, now at three quarters, hung high in the sky. Suddenly, a brown flash passed in his headlights, breaking him from his gaze on the moon. Hitting the brakes, he looked as a white tail disappeared into the brush. I might need some new britches after that, he told himself shakily. Another couple miles down the road and he slowed his truck as he pulled into a small paved lot on the left. He parked along the edge in front of a chain separating the lot from the woods and got out. As Max pulled his gear from his truck bed, a movement caught his eye. The chain was a single metal chain on a series of poles. The chain section next to the truck was swaying. He set his gear down and walked over to inspect it. The air was still and all the other sections of chain were stock still. Curious, he passed a hand around it. Nothing seemed to be attached. His truck was about a foot to the right of the section, so he couldn't have hit it. Well, I'll be damned, he said, scratching his head. He picked his gear up and started heading toward the pier. Max liked going catfishing at night. He liked the stars and the solitude. Suddenly, a bright flash streaked past him on the ground, lightning fast, and disappeared underneath his truck. What the? He shook his head. I must be seeing things. The pier was down a dirt path in the dark woods and stretched out 40 feet from the bank. It rocked in the water as he walked down, his boot heels clicking on the wood. At the end of the pier, he set up his chair, popped a beer, and baited his hook with a good chunk of liver. He gave her a good cast and set the pole down, attaching a bell at the end as he started gazing into the clear night sky. After about five minutes of gazing, not thinking of anything really, he was startled as a small rock splashed into the water in front of him. 
The ripples caught the moonlight as they expanded over the smooth lake. A second rock plinked off the wood to his right and splashed in the water. A cold shock raced down his spine as he spun in his chair, almost falling out. He stared down the pier and turned his flashlight on. There was nothing but the trees and brush. From beyond the beam came a third rock. It hit the pier a foot away from him and plopped into the water. Who the hell is out there? Max shouted, sounding somehow like his knees weren't suddenly jello. Nothing. He strained to listen. He heard nothing. No answer. No tree frogs. No crickets. There weren't even any lightning bugs. Just a wall of trees and scrub. He looked for several minutes more, but there wasn't anything to see. Then the bell rang on his pole. His heart jumped into his chest the way it always did when he got a bite, and the rocks were at once forgotten. Max gave the pole a practice tug to set the hook and started in on the reel. He was a good-sized one. He got the net ready as the cat splashed next to the pier. The fish was almost netted when a sound behind him made him freeze. The fish gave a final splash as it got off the hook and disappeared. Max felt the pier moving underneath him. He spun around, the pole splashing in the water behind him. He stared at the silver-lighted bank behind him, but saw nothing. The pier moved again. Hello, he said, this time rather weakly. Waves radiated out from the pier as it moved, and then he could hear of boots on the dock, but he couldn't see anything. Frantic, he scrambled for his flashlight, just for it to betray him and fall into the water. The pier was now moving wildly. The water splashed underneath. Eyes wide, he looked for someone, anyone. This made no sense. What the hell was happening? The step stopped in front of him. Shaking, he stood there waiting. There was no sound, no movement, not a breath of air. After a few moments, he began to relax and he let the breath out he had been holding. Time to get the hell out of here. Then, two hands shoved his chest and he toppled backwards over the rail. He was unable to move as he hit the water. He tried to swim, but his arms wouldn't work. He looked up desperately at the moon, now rippled through the water. A dark face looked down at him from the pier as he sank down into the veil. That was very creepy, Thomas. Thank you so much for sending that in, and congratulations. Congratulations to our three winners. Thank you to all of you who sent in your flash fiction. If you didn't hear it on this episode, I will probably be reading it on our Christmas Eve special. So I hope you guys enjoyed that flash fiction. Thank you so much for joining me for our five-year anniversary. I look forward to five more. Again, thank you so much, guys, for listening, for your support, for your friendship, and for the community that you've helped to build. I am so very grateful for it, so appreciative. I truly am blessed because of you guys. want to thank you for joining me. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. <music>